Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the podcast pre-conference at Here We Still Stand. I'm Caleb Keith. I'm the director of the 1517 Podcast Network and uh, the co-host of the Thinking Fellows Podcast. Today, we're going to start off with Let the Bird Fly, which is uh, one of... I, you guys were one of the first podcasts we brought into the network from the outside, which was really cool. They do educational shows. They talk about sports and random things at the beginning of the show. So... It's a it's a good time. You guys are Midwesterners, our only Midwest podcast, yep. I think. Or is Donovan? Donovan, I guess, counts yeah, a little funny. bit. But uh, it's a lot of fun. They they have thirty minutes today to talk about Oswald Bayer, and I think it's going to be a good episode. Uh, you have joining you. So it's if if people don't know, it's Wade Johnston in the middle, Mike Berg on the end, Adam Morton in the other middle, and John Pless on the end. And I think you guys are going to have a great show. So they're going to kick us off. So it's all you, Wade. All right. I will let Mike get us started. All right. Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, Wade is here. Uh, I'm Mike. We're in uh, beautiful Southern California, San Diego at the Here We Still Stand conference and happy to be here doing a live podcast. And today we're joined with uh, John Pless, uh, who is professor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Adam Morton, who is pastor in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Holy Trinity Lutheran from 1730. Yeah. Right. So a serious, uh, serious old school Lutheran here with us. And we and, have a, quite the ecumenical gathering. Yes, we've got that's two we, Wells pastors, an ELCA pastor, and a Missouri Synod professor. So uh, we're healing the wounds. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, in a half an hour, and we're going to do it by talking about Oswald Bayer, um, a German theologian, a professor emeritus at, at Tübingen, and uh, we're going to start off. Uh, John Pless is going to give us a small biographical sketch, and then maybe we'll go to Adam, who will talk about uh, the influence of Luther and specifically promise in the theology of, of Bayer. But before that, we have a disclaimer, and Wade's going to talk about a new book that's coming coming out. All right. Well, just first, I would uh, be disappointing Steve Burns if I didn't mention, if you listen to the podcast or you want to know more about it, uh, just last week, I believe, uh, the book, Let the Bird Fly, um, came out forward by Michael Berg, uh, probably the best part of the book. Um, but that is available out at the book stands, and it uh, is looking at what is life in Christian freedom, what is life in a world given back to us, um, which is a life that's quite different than um, usually ethics or the Christian life that's put forward in, within a legal framework. So that has been successfully plugged. And then now we have our disclaimer, which is just so that we cannot get fired, hopefully, for anything we ever say. Um, and so this show doesn't speak for our church bodies or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. Approach what you hear then with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize that you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Thanks, Wade. Um, Dr. Pless, a real short, just maybe a couple minutes on 
uh, a biographical sketch of uh, Bayer. Yeah, uh, Oswald Bayer uh, was born in 1939, so that means he just celebrated his 80th birthday a couple of weeks ago. And I can put in a plug there, we've edited a Feshrift for Oswald Bayer that will be released about Christmas time. Uh, editors Josh Miller, uh, Roland Ziegler, and myself. Um, it's entitled Prom A Promising Faith for a Ruptured Age, and it contains about 16 essays by a number of people who are also here at this conference, including Jim Nestigan and um, Steve Paulson and uh, Jake Corzine, myself. So uh, really excited to have that coming out. Uh, honoring a German theologian who has uh, become fairly known now in English-speaking uh, Lutheran circles, probably within the last 25 years. Uh, he, his own uh, work um, was originally in Luther studies. He branched out also into systematic uh, theology. Uh, he studied with Ernst Beitzer, um, and uh, it was really his studies with Beitzer who had worked on a uh, understanding of Luther's theology under the heading of faith comes by hearing, and that posed for Bayer the question, what do we do then with the sacraments if uh, faith is produced by uh, the word of God? And that uh, starts a trajectory in, 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 in Bayer, and I think uh, Adam is gonna talk a little more about that with the permissio. Uh, but Bayer has uh, produced a number of very important books uh, his first book translated into English is entitled Living by Faith, uh, Justification and Sanctification, which is really an apologetic for uh, the Lutheran understanding of forensic justification. And I hope we can come back uh, to that at some point in the podcast as well. Uh, he has... Um, and, and just maybe for those not familiar or from outside Lutherism, when we say forensic justification, we just mean God is declaring right. a verdict. It's a spoken word. Right. And this forensic understanding of justification has been under a great deal of challenge, particularly in uh, the 19th and, and 20th centuries. And Bayer uh, does, um, I think, provide a very robust answer uh, to that. He has a book, uh, Martin Luther's Theology, Contemporary Interpretation, and then another book, uh, Theology, the Lutheran Way, which he looks at a particular Lutheran approach to understanding theology from the perspective of Luther's oratio meditatio uh, tentatio. Um, Bayer uh, spent most of his teaching career at Tübingen. Uh, he retired at age 65 as required by German university system, but he's continued to remain uh, active writing and, uh, and, and lecturing and uh, has had quite an influence, I think, in American uh, Lutheranism. Um, as, uh, as his uh, scholarship also has a, a very strong connection to pastoral theology. I teach pastoral theology. I'm not a systematician, but uh, have found Byers' work very helpful in preaching, in catechesis, and in uh, the care of souls. And come back to that more in a bit, perhaps. Well, thank you, Anne. Well, and maybe just uh, briefly, um, one of the things we like to do on the podcast is interrupt Mike, so I apologize, Mike, but um, maybe just briefly, what, because uh, I know, John, you have played a role in, in some of this, what helped to bring Bayer onto the radar of, uh, you know, confessional Lutheranism in America that his works 
um, have been translated and, and I would say translated well by gifted translators, but what kind of put him on the radar that he has become so much more of an influence in our mm -hmm. setting? I first heard of Oswald Bayer back in the 1990s when I was a pastor in Minneapolis and um, one of my uh, friends, Oliver Olson, who is retired professor living there, uh, knew of Oswald Bayer, had many personal contacts, and at the time, um, Oliver Olson was editing the journal Lutheran Quarterly. He told me of Oswald Bayer and really started uh, reading Oswald Bayer as his materials were being published initially in uh, Lutheran, Lutheran Quarterly. I think he was attractive to confessional Lutheran theologians in particular uh, because of his uh, catechetical approach. In fact, he talks about systematics as a catechetical theology. And, and so unlike uh, the theology of the German Academy, which is much more oriented toward what we might call uh, Wissenschaft or scientific research, trying to get beyond or behind the text to see um, what makes a text work from historical critical perspective. Bayer speaks of the theologian as one who stands with Luther in front of the text, listens to the text, and um, is addressed by God through uh, the Holy Scriptures. That, that, that issue of address by God, I think, gets you pretty quickly to really the center of Bayer's theology. So his, the, the initial center of his work whether in, in Luther's studies and as it moves into systematic theology is in this con, uh, concept of promise in Luther. And this is where Bayer sees Luther's, to the extent that there is in Luther a Reformation breakthrough, a sort of a single moment. That's complicated and not worth getting into here. Uh, but as, as a central concept, this notion that what is really what is distinctive uh, about the Christian faith, what is distinctive about the word of God, it's not the law. I mean, the, the law is real and it's true and it's great, but it's not as, as distinctive as all of that. And, and it, is, it is the promises. And a promise is a word from God that actually creates and does what it says. Once you've unlocked that, the notion of a promise as not just describing something, not just telling of a future state of affairs that's going to be brought about in some other way, but as a word with the power to actually create and produce what it says, uh, and to do so unfailingly. And so promise is not just, we're not just talking about specifically gospel, you're forgiven in Jesus Christ, but all the way back to creation, correct? That, that's exactly it, mm -hmm. is then all of a sudden you have a, 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 a tremendous, very powerful linkage between the word that frees and justifies me and the word that created me and all things in the beginning. Uh, you have, a, you have a, a, a very close tie in Bayer's work uh, between creation and justification. Uh, and and that, that opens, well, it, he talks about this in terms of opening up creation to us then. Then we're actually receiving, uh, well, a world given back to us, I think, yeah, is the, yeah, the, yeah. the language of, of, of this podcast. But that's, mm -hmm. a, that's buyer sort of language. Yeah. I mean, it comes from Luther, but this is, this is his particular, uh, 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 his gift to our contemporary understanding of Luther and where we can really go with him.
Yeah, there's nothing that we did to earn creation, right? That would right. be a ridiculous notion. In the same way, the promise um, for us to be created as Christians to be righteous mm-hmm. is nothing that we did. It, it's it's yeah. a misunderstanding of God's, the power of his word. I mentioned that uh, Bayer works with the nomenclature of a catechetical systematics. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of his uh, early articles translated into English in Lutheran Quarterly was a look at the first article of the creed catechetical systematics, and um, we all, those of us who have studied small catechism, grown up with small catechism, know the language toward the end of the first article that God has done all of this purely out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. And that just kind of rolls off of our tongue and we maybe kind of miss the implication there. And Bayer brings this out that in the 16th century, merit and worthiness were fighting words with Rome. Mm. And so that even in Luther's confession of the gift of creation in the first article of the creed and catechism, he's bringing in the language of justification. And so uh, creation and justification are really tied together in, in Bayer's theology. And because it's the word of God that brings about creation in the first place, read Genesis 1 and 2, it's the word of God that justifies the ungodly, that for the sake of uh, the suffering, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is now speaking another word. And that word is a promissio, promise. And uh, in the promise, God obligates himself to bring it to fulfillment. And he actually does that. So as Adam pointed out, the promissio or the promise is not simply a description about what God did once upon a time or what God might do in the future. It's God actually acting in and through his word now and, and doing what he commits himself to do. And I think that's helpful for us as, as those of us who, and I did not grow up studying Luther Small's catechism. I, I grew up in the Roman church, so um, I studied it later. But I think often we can look at the, the creed and think, okay, we get to the second article and now we get to gospel. And then the third article, gospel delivered. Um, but it really does open up what Luther is doing in the creed as all is, is really gospel. And I think Adam can speak to, because it's one of my favorite things that Adam speaks about, and we've had him on the podcast before about it, and I made him talk about it last night again um, with our new German friends. Um, but it does, I think, open up... Uh, a helpful way of looking at Genesis that is often lost too. One of the the problems I think was how some will look at Genesis is they they look at Genesis and see this law of paradise. Um, and so Genesis is kind of this this legal thing and Adam and Eve had it and they just needed to not sin. And then what they'll do is they'll extrapolate from that and then their picture of heaven is developed from how they look at Genesis uh, 1 and then through 3 before the fall that is. And I think Bayer does something that's very helpful for us in preaching, um, but also in the ethical realm as well. Bayer opens us up to be able to speak of a, a Lutheran ethic um, when we see uh, justification in the first article as well. And, and, um, and Mike likes to hit on, so I won't steal his thunder, but that you can get lost in your neighbor for your neighbor's sake because your neighbor is, um, is, is creature of God. And, it, and it's not service... Um, Mike and I have been mentioning a lot on the podcast lately, if you listen, that 
uh, of being a little bit of tired of everything being to the glory of God, you know, sola dea gloria. And, um, and that's, that's fine. That's good. I'm not, I'm not, it's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. The glory, glory of God is, is, is it's all right. We're, yeah. we're not yeah. against it. But, uh, but really what God is concerned with is. Remember that disclaimer. Yeah. To, to let us, to be free to actually lose ourselves and our neighbor because where does Matthew 25, right? The sheep and the goats, where do we find Christ um, here ethically, we find him in the person of our neighbor. And so that we don't, not everything has to be sprinkled with this language that maybe is distracting from what we're actually afraid to do. We're turned outside of ourselves um, to live in a world that is still gift. Um, and I think that's an important thing. But I just went all over the place, Adam, and I apologize. No, that's okay. Yeah. You, 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 what you did is you walked into really interesting territory about Byers' other sort of great theological influence beyond Luther. And it's not out of tune with Luther, but it's a different, it's an, a peculiar 18th century Lutheran named Johann Georg Hamann, who if, if Luther can occasionally be difficult to read, Hamann is always incredibly difficult to read and very bizarre, uh, but, but absolutely unique, uh, which, which is why we love him. And Bayer, more than I think anyone living probably by far has imbibed what you can learn from Haman and integrate it into his theology. And there's a phrase that comes up in, um, in one of Haman's very short writings. Uh, it's called Aesthetica Nuce, it doesn't matter. But that refers to creation as an address through the creature to the creature. That is, as God speaking to creatures through other creatures. Mm -hmm. Which means all things in creation are words from God and in their, all of these interactions, they're also always speaking to each other. Uh, so this is, this is how this can work in the divine mm -hmm. service. This is how this can work in the proclamation of the gospel. But this is also how it can work in when, 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 when this justifying word has opened me back up to creation, it, it also opens me to my neighbor and to the things of this world. And suddenly, it, 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 suddenly God's stuff in creation can, can address me rather than me making, well, as, 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 as Haman puts it, everything either into my sacrifice or my idol, something I either kill to mm -hmm. get right with God or something I worship instead of God. Mm -hmm. and, and that's apart from that justified word then um, that the words in the world are hidden, they're lost and not in a hiddenness of God in a, as we would speak of it in Revelation, but in this discord that we sense in human life, right? Um, I don't care what uh, someone's religion is. If you live in this world, you sense a, uh, there's a dissonance, right? There's just some things that aren't right. It's why we don't like to watch the news sometimes. Um, and, and so we're actually, if, if, if anybody ever wants to speak about what can you gain um, from Christianity as far as how you see the world, well, you can understand the language of it. You can see it as gift and, and therefore enjoy it and not, as you said, turn it into idol or turn it into my means for some metric with God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there's something there than justification, right? I, I think what's very helpful for, for people who are maybe not theo theologians, like don't go and buy all of Byers' books. If right, you're, every, you know, but, but, but every Christian you is know, a theologian. But, but living, by, yeah, living by faith probably, if, if you really wanted to, that's where you should start. But um, what this means to the average Christian is this idea that um, we, see, we are the type of beings that seek to be justified. And so when I look at the world and I see my neighbor, I may use 
that neighbor to do something good for them, not because the end is my neighbor, because the end is my justification, right? And I think buyer's very helpful, at least to me, saying, um, you're looking for justification in all the wrong places kind of thing. So I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys want to talk, well, talk just, about Well, just that. briefly to that, you know, you look at what Luther writes about poverty, and then I, I promise to shut up in a minute. Um, and, you know, before the Reformation, it was, well, we need the poor to carry our alms to heaven. So we need the poor so we can give them money so they can go to heaven and say how we gave them money. <laughs> and what Luther recognizes with justification is, well, how about we just help the poor? Right? <laughs> and... Uh, and so I think that does open up a whole uh, realm of, of looking at issues um, in a robust way through the doctrine of justification. But you, and I that's why you, we, we, you said we're kind of bagging on the idea of the glory of God. And, and the point we were trying to make was the glory of God, to work for the glory of God is shorthand for loving your neighbor. Yeah. Like God's not a narcissist waiting for us to come kiss his ring, right? Mm -hmm. um, a parent looks at their child and... To, it's to their glory, not that they do a good work and say, hey, dad, did you see that? Do you love me now? But rather, without thinking about what dad cares, because he knows that, that the child knows that that love is I'm unconditional, just goes out and does what they were brought up to do without thinking that this was good or right or valuable or meritorious, right? So the glory of God is when you don't even think about the glory of God and you're just going about your business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So justification. Yeah. I think, again, when you um, look at what Bayer does with um, justification, if you um, kind of look at the history of theology, and particularly contemporary theology in the 1960s, I'm thinking of Paul Tillich, German-American theologian, who in his analysis said that the ancient world was concerned with death, and so the New Testament church, the patristic fathers, addressed that with the resurrection, life. Medieval humanity, Tillich said, was concerned with guilt. And so uh, the church addressed that first with the penitential system. And then in Tillich's mind, growing out of the penitential system, Luther's understanding of justification. And he says... Modern, the modern world is concerned neither with death nor with guilt. We can, of course, question that, but rather with meaning. And so now the church has to find kind of a new image. And Tillich's argument was that justification is archaic, irrelevant. And that was actually kind of confirmed by the Lutheran World Federation at their Helsinki conference in 1963. And then you have a whole host of theologians Lutheran and otherwise, who are saying that we need to find new metaphors, new images for talking about uh, salvation, that justification doesn't work anymore. And this is where Bayer is very helpful. And he speaks of how the world is forensically wired mm -hmm. to demand uh, a justification. So if we're not justified by faith, he says, we will attempt to justify ourselves by way of attitude or action. And... You know, ordinary example there, when you are confronted with something that you've done wrong, what is your first response? Not the confession of the sin, but by some kind of rationalization of your action. And Bayer sees this as an um, example of how justification simply works itself out, and it's a justification by works. Or what I tell my students when I'm lecturing on this in, in uh, class, listen 
to memorial services, celebrations of life for pagans? What is the one inevitable feature, the eulogy? And the eulogy is a fake absolution. It's an attempt <laughs> to justify the deceased by recounting their good works. I used to always insist if they wanted a eulogy, I got equal time <laughs> and, and made them aware I knew all of their loved ones' sins. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so Byer's point is that we justification actually frees us up. And this leads to another kind of aspect of Byer's theology that I find very exciting and very helpful, and we've kind of alluded to it, is that in the approach to vocation and ethics, Bayer uses the language not of categorical imperative with our friend Kant, and again, the Haman Kant connection there is very important. Haman and uh, Kant were, were friends, friends and neighbors, neighbors yeah. right? And uh, and and Haman was the anti-Kant in many ways. Did you know yeah. that Kant asked Haman once if they should? He, he offered to, in order to make peace between them after an argument that they should write a physics book for children together. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, the funniest yeah. books that were never written. Yeah, but. But the point I wanted to get at here with a buyer again is categorical gift. So the first question, buyer says, for a Lutheran ethic is not what must I do, but what have, what have I been given? And you see how that plays itself out in the small catechism. For all this is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. And then Luther kind of drops it there, but picks it up with daily prayer and table of duties at the end of the catechism. Now, uh, the fact that God has given me all this in his triune generosity as in creation, in redemption, in calling me to faith, sanctification, now that sets the context for answering the question, what, how do I answer this gift? How do I respond to this gift? And again, it's done concretely in creation and table of duties, Luther re recasts there the so-called uh, three estates of the congregation, uh, the civic community, and the domestic community, the household workplace. Uh, this really gives the lie to the, the, the very common accusation. We all hear it that, well, you know, this kind of idea of justification is nice, but it's, it's sort of thin. It's, it just, it's just a slice, maybe a, a narrow slice of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more out there. And what's surprising here is that you've got this, this concept of justification that's so powerful precisely because it opens out onto everything else, onto questions of politics, questions of day-to-day -day ethics, questions of if you want to go into an environmental theology, you can go that direction with it in our relationship to creation, uh, into practically everything as I, with my body, you know, in, in not just sort of my feelings in my head or in my heart, Am, am, am restored to creation and it to me. And so, well, you know, just what can we do now? Yeah. And the, <laughs> and the word that keeps coming up, I think, is, is freedom, right? And I think there's an insight for the everyday life here. This is not just uh, highfalutin theology here. Everything I do in my life, I believe, is driven by desire to be justified. So that's why... Um, I think it's why we gossip, because in that little group, I'm valuable because I have this little bit of information. I think it's why I get angry when someone drives uh, slow in front of me. I say, 
Why aren't you going faster? Don't you know how important I am? I have places to be. I mean, this, this drives my whole existence. And when I'm not justified in my actions anymore, then I see everything as gift, and that's true freedom. Well, and I think part of what this does, and Adam and John were hitting on this, is it opens up a way for Christians to actually be meaningfully engaged um, in the various estates and in both realms, in church and state, in a way that is healthy and that is salt and light. Um, when we end up looking um, to various social causes for our justification, we immediately become polarizing and we become polarized and we imbue them with a religious aspect that ought not be there. Mm -hmm. um, when we see them as a means for um, caring for our neighbor and wanting what's best, and not as what justifies us, we can actually be in engaged in a way that uh, if you've been on um, social media, right, you know no one um, is, can be more of a uh, uh, snowflake than a confessional Lutheran talking <laughs> politics. <laughs> and, uh, and it really sets us free from uh, having to funnel our identity into whatever cause or um, party or platform we see um, but to actually go into it with the word of absolution being the driving force. And so it's not, as I think Adam alluded to, um, forensic justification is not at the end of the day something that just becomes this byline in your sermon. You make sure you mention it. And now we've got to get back to the Christian life, which always goes to the law. So you get the law, gospel, law, sandwich sermons where the gospel just becomes, well, Jesus did this, so now you can. <clears throat> um, but you, you actually get to where... The gospel is the, the driving force for the Christian life. And apart from that word of justification, you may live a moral life, but you won't actually be living a Christian life because the Christian life is rooted in Christ and, and nowhere else, um, which is, I think, a good countermeasure against to what you see some of this like importation of virtue ethics into into theology, not just Lutheran theology. I personally like virtue ethics for civic righteousness. I think it's really helpful to make you a good citizen and a better husband um, or father, you know, or son. Um, but when it comes to sanctification, my relationship to God, um, those are two separate things. And, and this helps to keep that in place. And um, Adam, I, I kind of, I don't want to tell you where to go, so I'm going to give you and John each a, a question as we wrap up because I don't want to go over time and I'm the most undisciplined on time so I'm going to try to be disciplined with civic righteousness, not divine. Um, but uh, maybe for each of you, uh, we, we kind of picked this topic and last year we, when we were live recording we did Herman Sasso, who's another important theologian. But what we want to do with this is to kind of say um, whether or not you ever read Bayer, why does Bayer's thought matter? And maybe... Um, if you want to break down in just a, a short answer here at the end, um, at the end of the day, uh, whether it be for a preacher and how, how the preacher sees the preacher's task, or whether it be for the lay person, what would be the big thing, the big idea from Bayer that you think is especially helpful in 2019? I'm going to bring in something we haven't talked about, just because it's a major aspect of, of, of Bayer's thought and, and one I love. We've talked about it only indirectly with this divine hiddenness. Uh, which is to say, with, with God hidden in all of these things, the problem is without a sure sh word from God, I'm always seeking one. And one of the consequences of this is tremendous human suffering, which there is anyway. Even those, you know, all, always those of us who, who are believers, we also suffer. In this world, God's activity is horribly veiled from us. And, and, and terrible things happen. There's, there's, there's a reality to, 
to suffering, to the darkness of human life. Um, we were reminded of this in the Lions-Packers game on Monday night. Exactly. <laughs> it was unjust, and there is, there's apparently no power out there who will set it right. Mm -hmm. um, and so what are we to do? And here Bayer, this is looping back to that concept of promise, gives us something of an answer, uh, which is lament. God has given sure words about his justice, his righteousness, and, and so our own. And so we can call him on those promises. We can call on God and say, even if we're angry and upset about it, you have promised me. And so I know you will keep your word. And, and, and this, this has to be the case. And so the Christian life in the midst of this suffering doesn't walk away from God and his promises, but holds fast to them and says, this, this is the sure thing, even, if, even as I see the world torn apart around me. Your promises will hold me fast. Um, so that's that's a, personally, I, that, I find that just incredibly powerful in buyer, and I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do pastoral care without that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, John. Yeah, hard to uh, summarize because there's so much, and we've touched on a number of themes. I appreciate your bringing up this uh, theology of lament, which is very important in in buyer and in his use of the Psalms uh, there. Um, I, I think also of his uh, treatment again of the oratio, uh, meditatio, tentatio. So prayer, meditation, prayer, and temptation. meditation, and and testing. And uh, one of the insights I've really appreciated from Bayer for pastoral care in particular, and have actually tried to develop that a bit in my little book on small catechism as manual for discipleship, is Bayer's observation that for um, Anselm, theology was faith-seeking understanding, and for Luther, it is faith-enduring attack. Mm. And as I kind of thought of that, looking at Luther's exposition, particularly of the Lord's Prayer in the Catechism, uh, how, much, uh, the, how much he uses the language there of conflict, of God <laughs> breaking and hindering Satan, the world, but also my own sinful nature, so that uh, he is actually, uh, uh, God is actually building his people up in the word of promise to endure uh, this present evil age where he is operating again in hiddenness. Uh, you, don't always, you don't see what he is doing, but you have this sure word of promise. And so faith as endurance of attack would be the theme I would kind of conclude on. It's, it's a resilient theology, yeah. isn't it? I mean, that it, as befits a man whose first memories are of his mother pushing him through the ruins of... After his father was killed in... A, I think the first month of, of, the, of war. the war. Yeah, yeah, his father died in Second World War. Yeah, and he was only a few years old. I mean, he was born in '39. So yeah, he lived with that. Yeah. Well, I, I think something that comes out in both of those that I appreciate in Byron, I think, is helpful for us to remember, um, which I often work with my students on too. Is this? We sometimes get the assumption that our faith is weak when we're struggling. Right. Um, so we're tempted or we have doubts or, or we have sadness, which we conflate with a lack of faith because we're supposed to have that joy, 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 joy <clears throat> down in our heart. And, um, and what, I, what I often tell them when, if they're in my office and, and sometimes in tears is your faith has never been stronger because right now your, your faith is, is living its baptism. It is wrestling. Um, God is at work on you and in you 
in this moment when we have to be careful is when there is no struggle, right? And, uh, and I think in the American setting, there are a lot of Christians who end up um, leaving the church when they assume they must have failed or never had faith or don't have enough because of those struggles. And it's a reminder to us then as church, as preachers and as lay people, that it's um, a vital part of the Christian life that there is struggle. And as Adam said, and I think said fantastically, otherwise pastoral care just becomes Dr. Phil with a cross on the building. Um, It's a a reminder that what those people at the end of the day need is Christ, right? And and that's where the strength for faith will come from, not from a bunch of, of platitudes and talking points. And so I better stop talking, Mike, about where we should be. I'll let you wrap up any thoughts you have, and then you can uh, bring uh, us to the end. First of all, thank you for uh, Dr. Pless and Pastor Morton. And Dr. Pless does have a book. uh, What's the title of the book again? The Discipleship Discipleship Book. Yeah, Luther's Small Catechism, a Manual for Discipleship. Excellent. Thank you. So uh, as we uh, close out here, uh, I think a good reminder is that we are the types of being that seek to be justified, but that's a dead end for us. And we see that with our increasingly righteous indignation at others. Like Mm -hmm. we can never be satisfied with that because we're trying to justify ourselves. So to remember that we're justified by Christ. And this is a gift, a gift of promise, a gift that was spoken. And creation was a gift to us too. And so it's gifted back to us. And so go live free, friends, because when everything else is already done for you in Christ, there's nothing left to do but let the bird fly. Thank you. I don't care what I think. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drink. I say I'm up. Another round. I say I'm up. Another round. I say I'm up. Another round. One more round won't get me down. And I said, honey, honey, I don't care what you